so I, I, I always see a problem with that, and I don't understand why people end up voting for liberal politicians when they could be voting for things like school choice on the Republican ticket. I saw a post today in regards to uh, Betsy DeVos in, in regards to things that are negatives, apparently, attributed to her. Uh, here are some of the things that they listed off in this kind of meme that's floating around. She's rich. She's apparently a millionaire or billionaire, which to me doesn't make any sense. Who, who cares what she is? And how, what does that have any bearing on her as a secretary of education? I don't think it does. Um, she has no educational experience. I would like you to take a look at the Department of Education, which I believe doesn't need to be in existence as it is anyway, and actually take a look at uh, who comprises the majority of people that are in the Department of Education. None of them have educational backgrounds, and uh, those that do are certainly not using it in the correct manner if we keep on coming out with policies like Common Core, setting a national bar, which... When you look at that and you take the average of the statistics of students across the country, the larger number that you get involved in taking a look at, the lower that national bar is going to be set. So in the end, you leave behind those that are extremely smart and need to be catered to um, in the dust because you're focusing on this lower middle bar area. And you also have these kids that need more attention that aren't getting the attention. What really needs to happen is not common core uh, methodology of, of setting that national bar. It needs to be on an individual basis, on an individual school basis, and have the local control over education. That's what it always comes down to, and which is exactly why when I talk to people, uh, I always tell them that the biggest changes happen on a local level. That if you want to actually get involved and change things, even on a national level, you need to start off by going and starting at school board meetings or township meetings and actually showing up to those and seeing what kind of difference you can make there because from there it ripples out. It has a ripple out effect. Uh, she never attended public school or state university. Okay, so she's not uh, tainted by what's going on out there. The reason why we started homeschooling our kids this year is because of how bad public education has actually gotten. The types of things that they're cramming into these kids' minds and the standards that they're setting up. You know, I have a couple friends that are teachers and they're, they're made to be teachers. Teachers are not a problem in this case. There are some problem teachers out there, yes. But when you put these restrictions on them, when you have state standardized testing that they have to study to every single week uh, and they can't focus on the core subjects anymore and you have this common core mentality out there of mixing everyone up including the parents there's little time for teachers to actually teach creatively anymore and if you actually look up online these teachers that are writing letters of them quitting across the country because of the types of stress and just ridiculous standards that these teachers are put under themselves, you can see that education is falling apart anyway. So the fact that this woman has no public uh, education behind her or state university, what does it really matter? I mean, if you take a look at the way things are anymore, it's these rich, elitist, snobby, uh, you know, liberal elites that judge you and your character and where you are in life by the amount of degree or degrees that you have from a college university. 
uh, and they stick their nose up at you. Oh, you only have an associate's degree. Uh, well, you're a lower-class citizen in their eyes. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, the point that we've gotten to with this, when in actuality, you spend a good, solid year and a half to two years on the subject that you actually need to learn to enter the workforce, and another you know, two or three years learning subject matter that they believe you, that you need for uh, the real world, which oftentimes in in these state liberal universities ends up being these hum, uh, like liberal arts courses that are just tanning the youth anyway. And what is it really? It's it's to keep you in college longer so that they could get more money. And that's a that's a bubble that's about to burst anyway because with the the addition of how you can get an education online from colleges, you know, not paying the overhead while you're on campus and the dorm room costs and everything else, that whole thing's going to burst. And all this money that people keep on putting into the college universities themselves and the infrastructure and everything else to attract students, it's just all going to come crashing down because once people start getting a cheaper education that's just as good online from home and they don't have to spend all their money on campus in tough times, there's no reason to go to a physical campus anymore. She also believes that teachers are overpaid. This is a tricky topic. Uh, you know, even I'll say this. There has to be a way of paying teachers that's fair. And if I had the answer to this, I would tell you what it is. Unfortunately, when I was on the school board, we were looking into ways of judging how a teacher should be paid. And we were looking at like-sized schools with like size average income in the area uh, unfortunately right now uh, well until recently uh, the schools were basing their pay off of surrounding areas which in a lot of cases you can have a rich area right next to a poor area and you're paying you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense it doesn't level off or make any sense but at the same time if you're looking at the opposite end of the spectrum these teachers that have the courage to go into inner city schools and try their best to teach these kids, I think that they're well underpaid. You know, it, it has to cut, there has to be a balance in there somewhere. I honestly don't know what it is. You know, smarter people have to gather into groups and try to figure that type of thing out. Uh, she also invested $200 million in Christian schools and organizations. So what? Obviously, the person that made this meme has something out against people that are rich, people that <laughs> haven't attended public school, and those that are invested in religious or Christian-valued areas. So it's just an angry, basement-dwelling liberal that's sitting on their mom's computer and complaining about different things. Whatever. Put a meme together and do your thing. Whatever you want to do. You know, besides Betsy being appointed to Trump's cabinet, you also have Nikki Haley, uh, who was appointed as UN ambassador. And I found that pretty interesting, too. Nikki Haley is uh, a woman that I think is made for politics, and she does a great job, uh, and I think she's going to do well there. They're also considering right now for Interior Secretary either Jan Brewer or Sarah Palin. Among a list of other people, I personally met Jan Brewer, and... I had a blast with her. Uh, I actually approached her at CPAC 2016, and her bodyguard that was there, she came up to about my chest level, and I came up to about his belly button level. The guy was about eight foot, 
and 400 pounds. Uh, I'm sorry if that's offensive to him because if he doesn't weigh that much, but the guy was massive. She's tiny. And I went up to her and I said, I just want to let you know, I respect everything that you do because you're a lion in the political arena. And she gave me a big hug. She asked me if I would be around in Pennsylvania when she was rolling through. So I told her I would keep an eye on my schedule to actually go out and, and catch her again at some point in time. But we had a great conversation. So along with these women, you also have Ben Carson, who was appointed to or offered the position of Housing and Urban Development uh, Secretary. So right off the bat there, you have two, possibly three women appointed into Trump's cabinet, as well as Ben Carson, uh, who, is a, who is a black American. And you have all these people on the left screaming about how this administration is going to uh, treat minorities and women and what has he proven so far i mean that's all he's been that's all he's been hiring into his cabinet so far and appointing into his cabinet so it's absolutely ridiculous what they've been saying uh on to the next one so we i posted on my facebook page and you can go there to the generation y conservative on facebook and find a lengthy sourced post of all the fabricated incidents of Trump supporters causing violence or hate crimes. Since the election, since election night actually, there have been a lot of stories that were coming out and uh, saying that there were hate crimes based on Trump supporters and everything. I mentioned this in my last podcast about the woman uh, on a college campus who said that her hijab was stolen and the two white men were wearing uh, Make America Great uh, hats, and they were clearly Trump supporters and yelled obscenities at her. And when she posted this, the police department came out and said that there was no evidence of this ever happening. She never reported it, even though she did say she did report it, and eventually it came out that this was fabricated. Well, this post that I posted today lists off a bunch of these incidents that have been proven to be fabrications uh, over the last week. And I find that interesting because I have quite a few friends that have been posting these articles. Um, and I mentioned this in my last podcast as well. I personally sent them messages telling them, Hey, you know, this is looking like it's a fabricated story. Read up on it. Make sure that you update the story. If this was, uh, and doesn't turn, I'm sorry, does in fact turn out to be a fabricated story so that you're not spreading misinformation. Uh, a few of my friends chose to not acknowledge that. And what that tells me, along with everyone else that's been posting these articles, is that we actually have a case of people that believe that agenda is more important than the truth. And I find that really disturbing. I find it disturbing that you believe you can pound this agenda home just because you hate Trump so much that you would bypass the truth and not post it when it becomes available. In this case the one that I said, and I'll just quickly go over it again from my last podcast. In regards to this case, people could be hunting down these two white men that are Trump supporters that don't even exist, but they might come across two that fit the description and either beat them to a pulp or kill them based on a fabricated lie. And then whose fault is that? I would place that blame solely at the feet of the individual that fabricated the story in the first place, as well as the individuals that posted the article uh, and knew the truth and never updated it with the truth. Um, because that is, that is some dangerous territory that we're going into there 
where you believe that you can persuade people uh, with lies and just ignore the truth. We also got news that California wants to secede. And they're, they're not the only one, actually. Uh, I believe Oregon is also considering this as well. And Californians are seriously pushing for this as well. And they're saying, you know, they're not even, they're not even going to give Trump a chance. Um, they are just pushing ahead with this in the meantime. And I find it pretty fascinating because if you take a look at California as a state and its economy as a state, you can actually compare that to multiple countries around the world and it comes out as one of the largest economies in the world. If you compare it to other countries, that's pretty amazing. But along with that, the taxes out there are absolutely outrageous and the money is allocated and misspent by people, all the politicians out there, and spend on stupid things. There was a list I put out a couple, probably a couple years ago at this point on my Facebook page, of where your tax dollars actually go, and the pet projects and pork projects that they actually go to. And millions of dollars were spent by a university in California where they actually studied the mating habits of salmon. Why? It doesn't, it, that doesn't even make sense. Like, if you want to spend the money, spend a couple couple bucks on someone to get a tent and go out there with a video camera or something like that. I'm sure it's not going to be millions of dollars, and they can just observe nature and see what's going on. So what the heck was that money spent on? But it doesn't really matter to these people. Not only that, their state is in deep debt all the time, because they don't know how the heck to spend their money. I find this also fascinating, too, because... Since the 1800s, Texas has always wanted to secede. And Texans are called crazy and ridiculous anytime this is brought up. But the second that Trump gets in and, and Californians propose it before he even gets in office, well, of course, they're acting rationally, and uh, they obviously just don't want to be under Trump regime. So, you know, it's not hypocrisy at all in their eyes. So, to this I say, good, actually. I actually hope that California presses far enough to either get the chance to secede, or far enough that it becomes a national issue to actually spotlight. And the reason why I say that is because as a constitutionalist, I actually believe in state rights. You know, I believe that every state you go into should be completely different than the state you just left as you cross the border, to give us all an option on the type of environments that we want to live in. You know, if I go to California, I'm not going to walk in and across the border or drive across the border and start complaining about how liberal it is out in that state and how the people are and how they treat me as a conservative and everything. If I go out into California, I expect what I'm walking into there. Just as a liberal should expect to be treated differently or come into a different environment when they go into Texas. And I think that's the great thing about this country is it is made of 50 states... <coughs> that you have an individual attitude as you go into each of them. And I think that's a fantastic thing. So, you know, I'm actually pushing for California to uh, have good luck on this one. I, you know, good luck, California. This is another interesting topic that came up this week. And it ties back into some other things that I've been talking about for a long time. In Washington, D.C., the restaurant Maggiano's issued an apology on Monday for hosting a National Policy Institute banquet last week 
that saw pro-Nazi-ish people giving the Nazi salute and talking about white nationalist issues. Okay, interesting. In related news, in, in regards to businesses and everything and how they treat their uh, customers, fashion designer Sophia, Sophie Thillette, I don't know how you say her name to be honest with you, refuses to make dresses for the incoming first family, stating in a letter, the Sophie Thillette brand stands against all discrimination and prejudice. Our runway shows, ad campaigns, and celebrity dressings have always been a celebration of diversity and a reflection of the world we live in. While it is not wise to get involved in politics, this is my favorite part, since our company is family-owned, her bottom line is not just about money. We value our artistic freedom and always humbly seek to contribute to a more humane, conscious, and ethical way to create in this world, among other things. The letter was a little bit longer. So, should the restaurant have been able to turn away this group of people if they had known prior the agenda that these people had? To that I would say yes. Should this fashion designer be able to turn away the incoming first family? To that I would also say yes. But, over the past couple years we have seen case after case where Christian small business owners like bakers and florists Photographers, videographers have been sued for turning away gay weddings or same-sex weddings because it goes against their religious principles. So here we have a case where you have a stance, her stance and the restaurant stance is disagreement of political points of view, whereas the Christian and other religious businesses are disagreeing rooted in religious objections. So, to that I would say, what's the difference? At this point in time, liberals have to decide if they're all in or not in at all. Because if you're all in, then it's either discrimination all around, these bakers and everything else are discriminating, this fashion designer is discriminating, and this restaurant should have never had the uh, opportunity to turn away a pro-Nazi group. And... It would all be discrimination. Otherwise, the other choice would be none of it is discrimination. And that business owner should have the opportunity to allow or disallow business based on their business practices or religious beliefs or political beliefs. It seems pretty easy to me. And I think that they have a glaring case of the hypocrisies, if you ask me. So this actually happened last weekend another incident. Last weekend, at a performance of Hamilton up in New York City on Broadway, Vice President-elect Mike Pence was in attendance, and as the show ended, the cast read a letter in a scolding manner to embarrass, humiliate, and bully the new elected president. VP, sorry. Of course, they would tell you that they were taking the opportunity to be heard, and their issues to be heard, to a VP that disagrees with them. Brandon Victor Dixon, who read the letter, mentioned that they were scared that the new administration wouldn't represent minorities and women that well. However, in subsequent days after he read this letter to VP Pence, his Twitter account 
has been dug into by those that oppose him, and a bit of hypocrisy has shown up in the tweets, including a tweet he sent out that said, St. Paddy's Day weekend is like Christmas for black dudes who like white chicks. Happy holidays, boys. He also retweeted a tweet that said, For every racist comment I get about Trayvon, I'm going to turn one white married suburban housewife and mother into a jump-off. The best. He also responded to a tweet that said, Remember when NFL players would just play the game, bang mad hoes, and collect their checks? Guess that's not enough anymore. And he responded to that with, The problem is, hoes aren't what they used to be. If the hoe game would step up, cats wouldn't get distracted. So it sounds to me like he's a real peach. Uh, This guy is a real supporter and champion of women and someone that should be looked up to. So, right after this, not only did these tweets come out as glaring hypocrisy or cases of hypocrisy, you also had pictures that leaked out showing the last time that the Clintons were in attendance of the Hamilton performance of Hillary backstage meeting the cast and crew, taking pictures with them, and uh, chatting along with them. And all having a good time, obviously. So that wasn't biased at all. They didn't have a biased opinion there at all. There were also problems all over this story in my mind if I'm going to be completely fair here and you know go after the the right as well I think that there were problems all over uh, in regards to this story because there were a lot of things done uh, the most innocent of which I think was Mike Pence being there with his nephew and daughter in this case the Hamilton cash should have taken the higher road which they claim they did take the higher road and just performed their absolute best performance and uh, thanked the VP-elect for coming. And that would have been taking the higher road. It would have been showing, hey, we're here, we do a great job, you disagree with our lifestyles, but you know, we hope you enjoy this and can see us for the human beings that we want to project to you. That would have been great. But at the same time, right after this incident, Kellyanne Conway should have stayed out of it and let it go. Instead, she got on the news, uh, into the press circuits and everything, got on Twitter, and started railing against the Hamilton cast for the way that they acted as well. After that, Donald Trump should have definitely known better and just brushed it off and let it go. Instead, he immaturely, in my mind, attacked the show and cast on his Twitter account. Uh, you know... We were getting to the point there where I was really getting a lot of faith in Trump, his attitude on things on the campaign trail, being just a show, just to get him elected, and then seeing the meeting with uh, you know President Obama and turning things around and the meeting with all these other people. It really seemed to me like maybe he was just putting on a show and he was going to be much more professional from this point going forward. Unfortunately, this this Twitter interaction didn't prove that to me. And, you know, I wrote down here that the Twitter account should be taken away from him and placed in an assistant's hands that can take his thoughts and moderate them because obviously he needs it. He doesn't, he shouldn't be going straight to paper or or computer with his thoughts directly because it's just going to get him in trouble and he shouldn't have done this. Also actor Josh Gad who is in the Book of Mormon musical, jumped into the conversation and said, I would never, he put this on his Twitter account, by the way, 
I would never boo someone at the theater. But this feels kind of different. Well, of course it's different, because it's an agenda that you don't agree with. So, as long as someone's acting accordingly and falling lockstep in line with your ideology, you're okay with it, and you don't have anything to say. But as if someone's out in the audience, and they disagree with what you think, and they're sitting there and just being a regular guest, not causing a scene or anything, then it's a different story, and you should be able to jump on this guy, pounce on him, have the audience boo at him, because, screw you, we're all about tolerance, and we're not going to tolerate you. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Once again, is this not the third case of hypocrisy, at least, that I've gone over tonight, just following cases of things that have happened this week? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, along with that, I believe it was right after the weekend as well, uh, Trump invited uh, a lot of members of the press, I believe it was about two dozen people that came in, and uh, into a closed-door meeting to talk about how they mistreated him and misrepresented him in their coverage during the campaign. Um, it was funny because two writers on the New York Times, and it looks like my uh, type got pulled off here, but two writers at the New York Times discussed the meeting, but they couldn't write exactly what was discussed in it. And they said that, they, that Trump was emboldened by his victory, uh, and he may refuse to abide by the traditional dynamic of a president and the journalists who cover him, a natural adversarial relationship that is nevertheless based on some level of mutual trust. Let me read that last part again. Uh, that he may refuse to abide by the traditional dynamic of a president and the journalists who cover them with a naturally adversarial relationship that is nevertheless based on some level of mutual trust. Pretty interesting. Because the press in recent years have not been naturally adversarial to this president and the last liberal uh, administration, which also happened to be Clinton as well. These reporters and press people have actually gotten more into the bed of the politics of Washington. I'm not just talking about at the White House. I'm talking about um, with House members and Senate members. And, you know, if you watch House of Cards like I do religiously, <laughs> you know, Robin Wright is one of the executive producers on that. And she also plays um, Frank Underwood's wife, Mrs. Underwood. And she does a lot of research into... Uh, how politicians are in D.C., and how the press treats them and everything. And she said if, if they actually put into the show what they heard about the interactions with the press and everything, it would make, it, it, makes you, it makes you throw up in your mouth as it is the kind of stuff that they put into the show. But they said that's just scratching the surface of what it's actually like when you look at how politics and, and the press work down in D.C. So... If you don't understand the history of the press, what you have to understand is that the press was set up at a time with the printing press and everything to be watchdogs on behalf of the citizens of this country to watch after what's going on in Washington, D.C. and keep us abreast of the knowledge of what's going on, what they were trying to pass in the dead of night uh, behind our backs to make sure that we could hold our uh, politicians accountable. But that's... Instead of being watchdogs, they've become lapdogs. 
and it's just been it's it's been gross it's been absolutely gross but never once has this press been adversarial with obama and it just seems like only now are they throwing out this naturally adversarial view uh, with the president and mutual respect once an opposing viewpoint or politic uh, ideology, political ideology, gets into office that they disagree with. Oh, now we got to back off and become watchdogs again. I mean, it's just another case of hypocrisy. So what are we on? Number four, number five tonight already? And finally, my last story here of wrapping up what's been going on with this week of politics. We have Elizabeth Warren <laughs> coming out on Twitter mocking Trump and Romney, uh, having a meeting, telling Romney that he should bring his notebook of women to the meeting. Um, you know, basically saying that Romney was a sexist and they kept this notebook of, people, of women during his presidential run the last time. And that that's a somehow sexist and unequal of treatment. I mean, Elizabeth Warren <coughs> is a glaring example of someone who touts equality and tolerance and does the exact opposite. She's a she's a bad example of what those two words mean and what their definitions are. Because in Elizabeth Warren's mind, she would like to take a stack of resumes have you okay for a cabinet position let's say and divide it up by what the subcategories of people are so women minorities and you know whatever else you want to split these subcategories up into and then what she wants to do is go through those and see which ones are best qualified of those instead of finding the best qualified and going from there and seeing what they turn out to be that's that is true equality uh, when you're looking at the circumstances of people, okay? So, for instance, I'm a business. I'm, I'm hiring for a position, whatever it may be, position A, and I run an ad. I get all these resumes in. I would rather take off the top portion where it tells me the person's name and address and everything else that's personal, give me their education, their work experience, their references, and and go from there and see which ones rise to the top based on those qualifications. Once I get that, then I invite them in for the for the interview because I have the most qualified people. From there, I find out what they are. If they're women, great. If they're men, great. Who cares? That is what true equality is all about. So, you know, Martin Luther King said not to to judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. So in this case, it would seem that you would want to add sex to that and not judge people based on their sex as well. But that's that's all the left keeps on talking about, is how women have to break the ceiling and how women are underpaid. And, you know, they keep on coming out with all these statistics instead of saying... We have unequal pay out there. Who cares who the people are? What are the circumstances that they fall under? You know, this is certainly a topic that I could go on for a long time on as far as the unequal pay of women because there's some big factors uh, when looking at certain types of jobs on why women are underpaid. And as a matter of fact, if there's any women watching right now, this is actually a tip for you. 
One of the circumstances is, let's say a job position opens at a company. Two people apply. One's a male, one's a female. Men are more likely, statistically, to try and negotiate a salary. So actually, in this case, let's say that there's two positions open for the same exact position. The two people apply. They both get it. The male goes into the into the room for the interview. He's offered the position. They start negotiating salary. He actually negotiates up and says, I believe I'm worth this. They say, okay, well, we're willing to pay this. And they come out to an agreement of some sort in between. If the woman goes into the interview, and I'm not saying all women do this, but statistically speaking, they don't negotiate well in for their salaries in these meetings, then if they're offered the position... If they were to say, what does this position pay, and the employment says we pay X amount of dollars, and they accept that right off the bat without trying to negotiate, then there becomes a problem right there of unequal pay, because the male might be getting more paid more based on his negotiating skills. So, really, this turns into a bit of advice for women, because there should be classes in the universities and everything to go over how to properly negotiate uh, once you're in an interview environment. Uh, I think that would be a great opportunity, not just for women, but also men as well, because, you know, I don't personally remember myself negotiating too much. I remember doing it at one or two jobs, and it worked out in my favor. But sometimes, you know, you get into that into that environment where you're actually talking to someone, and you get a little scared. So I think classes in universities or online talking about how to properly negotiate your salary and find out what you're worth and what the position is worth would be something that could be uh, of benefit to anyone, to be honest with you. One of the other reasons would actually be if you're looking at a position that requires a high amount of physical strength and you have two people working the same position and if for some reason the woman can't you know, physically handle the job that the male is, that might be a discrepancy in the pay as well, because then you know other people would have to pick up on her slack. This is this is more prevalent. This isn't every type of job. This is more prevalent in warehouse type jobs and everything, but you know that's what it comes down to. So these are the stories for the week. Uh, these are the ones I found most interesting. Obviously, there's a lot more stuff going on right now. The markets continue to climb up. Uh, and the value of the dollar keeps climbing up based on the election results. That's what every, all the businesses and stock market feel is what has taken a hold of that. It's just a different mentality. Once you start having a new administration coming in, um, you're, you've had people waiting for at least a year now on making employment decisions and stock decisions and shareholder decisions uh, based on where the election was going to go because you were waiting to see how people reacted, how businesses reacted, how foreign governments reacted to, you know, if, if you had business overseas in some sort of way and taxes. All these things figure into this. So it seems to me that the clenching of, of people's uh, emotions waiting for this election has finally let go. The economy is going to start slowly rising again. We will probably see some hiccups here and there based on some decisions that are made. But those are being made every day. And we're going to continue to see those decisions. So uh, I just want to thank you for joining me. 
you can always find my podcasts on YouTube, uh, where you'll find my video, which is a little choppy right now. I am working on that. You can find me on Twitter at Gen Y Conservative without the E. You can also find me on my Facebook page, which is the Generation Y Conservative, where I post the most things, all the articles I find interesting, along with some commentary mixed in with those. That's typically what I'm going to pick from uh, to wrap up my week of events, uh, political topics that I can go over. And uh, you can also find me, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, soon, uh, hopefully in February, we're going to be launching a Generation Y Conservative TV show on a local station, and that Every episode from that, uh, since I would retain ownership of it, would actually show up on my YouTube channel as well. So I just want to thank you guys for tuning in and uh, you know, catch me on some of these articles. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comments below and share with your friends and family. I appreciate it. Have a great night.